Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Boldly go where no one has gone before. Engage. Yes, we are back. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Engage, the official official Star Trek podcast. We have with us a guest today. Let me beam him in. We heard his voice before he beamed in officially. Right. That that was me on subspace radio. That was you on subspace. We have a guest. He was with us in one of our early episodes. Uh, Frito was back. Hello, Frito. Hello, hello. Frida was with us when we when we were on location. We used the mobile emitter that week. That's right. And we went to see the uh, the new Trek marathon. Yeah, we saw the Kelvin Timeline Marathon at the IMAX Theater in Manhattan. Uh, it was a long day. It was ten hours, six hours, it's seven hours, something like that. We we went. I think it started at like three o'clock, and we left shortly after midnight. Yeah, so that was a fun time, and it made me reassess my attitude towards Star Trek Into Darkness. I still don't love it, but I don't dislike it as much as I used to. I think yeah, it has... and I and I also reassessed a little bit. I liked, ended up liking the first one a little more than I liked it initially. You know, they were just pumping gas into the room to make us like it, everything. It could be that. It, it was could like, be these are the best Swedish fish I've ever maybe, eaten in my life. Yeah, maybe or maybe they were just more enjoyable on the second viewing. But I because we were opposites. I always liked Into Darkness more than the first one. Right, and, and then and, I was the other way around. Right, and, and then, then I think we both appreciated the ones that we didn't like as much a little more upon viewing yeah. them again. And then by the time we got to the third one, we realized it was great. Well, we yeah. we, we knew it was great, and, and it was it was uh, made even more evident. So that's exciting. So Frito's our special guest this week because we're going to talk about Star Trek gaming. I think since the day that this uh, podcast started and I asked for feedback from people... I said, hey, what do you want to talk about? And one of the things that kept coming up was, oh, Star Trek games. I play Star Trek online. I play I play uh, Star Trek timelines. And the truth of the matter is I don't play any of that stuff. I mean, I can't do it all. I read Star Trek comics. I read Star Trek books. I watch Star Trek. I think when I close my eyes at night, I have visions of Spock and Bones. I, I That's I ha- disturbing. I have a you lo- should maybe see somebody. <laughs> like I have that. a lot of Star Trek in my life, but I don't play too many Star Trek games. I don't play any games. If I played games, I would play Star Trek games. But So Frito's here to talk about that. But before we get to that, before we get to that... Now hear this. I have some Print news. Print message urgent all stations on all decks. Prepare for emergency saucer seven. That, that one is a... Uh, well, I don't know why they sound so weird today. 
That one was a little loud, but we'll leave it in. Brian, I have some news for you. I have some news for you and for Star Trek fans. This is a red alert. I saw Logan. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's not coming out for another week and a half. Week and a half, but I saw it early. And um, it is of special interest to... It's a a nice... It has an intersection for Star Trek fans and X-Men fans. That's that's me right here. Because uh, Captain Picard... Or as I, as some people like to call him Patrick Stewart, but I like to call him Sir Patrick, Patrick Stewart. Sir Patrick Stewart uh, is in this one. And I try to keep, when I go to see movies early, um, I like to be a real tabula rasa. I like to not know anything as much as I can. So I didn't know, first of all, I didn't know which of the other X-Men were in it, other than Logan, because he's in the title. And then I'm kind of getting there. I'm like, who else is in this one? Like, oh, oh, Professor X is in it. I'm like, oh, is it McAvoy or is it is it Picard? Which is a crazy thing to ask, but the person I was with knew what I was talking about. I'm like, oh, no, no, it's it's big time Picard. And he is great. He is great. The whole movie's great, but uh, he specifically is great. I, I mean, I, th- I think you were talking about this with, um, who was it? Jill. Jill. And uh, and everyone in the room was kind of like, eh. I'm like, oh, no, I'm excited about it. Well, and then- that's what's funny. We, we were, Jill Pantosi, a couple weeks ago, and I were all about sort of the classic argument in nerd movie franchises right now, the MCU versus DC. You know, and the MC, you know, Mar- X-Men are Marvel, but they're not part of the MCU, which that, is, that is true. mostly a, due to, um, you know, sort of licensing deals and well, IP. And I think it was legal. Fox acquired the license for X-Men right. like 20 years ago. Right. As long as they keep pumping out movies. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. They acquired the rights to, to, to X-Men, which also then uh, touches with Deadpool, which is why they're able to make Deadpool movies, and yep. also Fantastic Four. Yep. Sony got Spider-Man. Sony was smart, though, because they realized they couldn't make good Spider-Man movies. The Andrew Garfield ones were just not that hot. Yeah. So they had a sit-down, mafia-style, with the MCU, and said, let's cut a deal where our, Sony, where our Spider-Man is now still is like a shared it's like shared custody right Sony has shared custody of Spider-Man with the rest of the MCU and the rest of the MCU is the Avengers Captain America Iron Man you know the main stuff which now extends into weirdo properties like Galaxy of the Guardian Galaxy of the Guardians Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> and others but the point I'm making is this X-Men has always ridden alone like Logan himself he's they've been loners the, the, and they kind of had they have so many characters though it kind of can stand on its own like Fantastic Four can't X Men no. has so much going on, and they they always kind of have been a like sort of parallel in a, in a way. I completely yeah, agree. A, yeah, it's a huge universe just by itself, right? But it always would have been nice. Like it would have been nice if X Men within the MCU would have been awesome. It would have, have it would have been nice, and it would have made sense in one of these Avengers movies for you know uh, Tony Stark to call up certainly Reed Richards, but also Professor X. Like it would have yeah. been nice, and like it would have been cool if. You know, uh, Magneto would have showed up for ten minutes. So, like, it would have made sense in a big cross event like that. But nevertheless, X Men's been on its own, and the X Men movies have been all over the place. Some and that's true. But tonally, they've been all over the place. I mean, think about uh, my favorite, which was X Men First Class, which was the first one that introduced the McAvoy Fassbender. You know, back in the '60s, one Kevin Bacon is in January Jones and Go Go Boots. Right? <laughs> it's very. It's not. I don't want to say campy, but it's very poppy and fun. Logan, on the other hand, is dark. dark. Like, it does not feel like any other superhero movie I've seen before. It's very R-rated. Am I? Yeah, I was just thinking this is like the first R 
X-Men, right? Uh, wait, was Deadpool, Deadpool R? Was the first. Dead, Deadpool, Deadpool was the first. Deadpool was R. But Deadpool's De- R Deadpool's was, a hard R. But that was more R for its sexual right. stuff than its violence, I think. Um, and its humor. A lot of F-bombs. Uh, there's a lot of F-bombs, was, a lot of sex. Uh, uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of viscera uh, with some headshots in Deadpool. Maybe you're right. I think. Maybe yeah. you're right. Was, yeah. That, that, was, that I'm was not. I'm sure a, people got cut in half too. Right. You're that, right. It, that was not a borderline. R. No, that was that was our. Um, but I mean, but this he, is definitely the first I mean, R de- X-Men. Let's not forget in Deadpool, glory be to Ryan Reynolds. He he. Uh, how do, how does one say this? Uh, I believe the term is pegging. <laughs> does he not get pegged? He does. He does get pegged in a major motion. But is that the I, first time I had blanked that scene out? No, and he's because he's very sexy with his gal, and they're doing all kinds of fun things. And then he's like, "Let's give this a try." And then he's like, "I don't particularly care for this maneuver. Let's cut this short." Well, the, uh, the the character is canonically uh, pansexual. Yes. So yes. Right. Now is was that the first? It's funny. Well, a couple weeks ago we were talking about camel toe with Terry Farrell, and, and now we're talking about pegging. <laughs> but uh, this is a uh, uh, this was the first pegging in a major mainstream motion picture. I guess it was. Yeah. All right. Good for you. All right. So, so anyway, the point is this: Logan's very different. Logan is. Um, I don't want to give too much away plot-wise, but tone-wise, it's like an old Western, and there are there are scenes that are specifically referencing a classic old Western from classic Hollywood. I won't get into which one. Um, but it but it's um, it also has like road movie elements, and it's a little bit it's very very dark. It's also set in the future. Did you guys know this? Y- yes. I did not. The it, uh, the original story it's sort of based on is. It relies heavily on um, the other Marvel characters, really, but it is like a, you know, dystopian future. In yeah, a way. yeah, it's a dystopian future that is a, a little bit taken from the headlines. The two things that are most notable: one, there's a shot where they're it's all set kind of on the um, border between, I believe, Laredo, Texas, and Nuevo Laredo in Mexico, and they go down to the border wall. And there's like like douche bro Americans going like USA and chanting at the Mexicans <laughs> on the other side of the wall. And then there's a moment where they show uh, driverless trucks. And we were talking about driverless cars last week with John Billingsley, right? When yes. he was talking about how maybe progress isn't always so good because it showed driverless trucks. First of all, they look cool. I mean, I gotta be. Let's. The positive is the driverless trucks in Logan look awesome, and you don't realize they're driverless trucks at first. You just think they're trucks, but they. You see, like the bed of a. Um, uh, of a tractor trailer, and you see the, the 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 shipping thing. It's a big rectangle, and you kind of see it out of the corner of your eye. And then you're like, "Wait, is that the front or the back?" You're like, "No, it's the whole thing." And it's just like a moving rectangle with no right because there's no driver. there's no cab. Yeah, there's no yeah. cab. It's just a giant oh, wow. rectangle that moves around. And if you get in front of it, it just says like, "Please disperse" or something like that. <laughs> Watch the tram car, please. Right, right, right. So they're on the highway, and there are all these giant tractor trailers, just like giant fly- floating rectangles. And then, of course, you meet like the har- the last of the hardworking farmers in the Midwest, or not the like the Southwest or wherever the heck they are. And it's uh, Eric LaSalle, if you remember him from ER, and his family, and they're being squeezed by this company that's making high fructose corn syrup for like. And then you find out it's for evil reasons and whatnot. But it just said, like, you know, driverless cars sound awesome. Because it's like, oh, I'm going to take my family on a trip to Disney World, and I'm going to lay back and kick my feet up and not have to drive. And yes, that is one application of driverless cars. But the real application is trucking companies will not have to pay for humans to move green beans across the country so they can be in your convenience stores. So, uh 
Anyway, so that's one of the things about. But the the real thing, and the thing that's most important, I think, to listeners, is uh, it's set a little bit in the future, and Professor X, whose real name Francis Xavier, right? Yeah. Doctor Francis Xavier, Charles Xavier, Doctor Charles Xavier. Excuse me, has gone bananas. He's lost his mind. His mental powers have snap, uh, short circuited, and when you first meet him, and this is early on, so I'm not giving too much away. He, they're down in Mexico, and they keep him inside. A giant water tower has collapsed, so it's on its side, and they've kind of unbolted a door where you can go in, and then he lives inside this giant top of a water tower. Why? Because it's encased it's, it's in metal. metal. It's a so, Faraday cage. So, yeah, so he can't get his thoughts out into the world, because if he did, he would wreak havoc, and they have to keep him medicated. And he's delusional and freaking out. And it reminded me, even though he's clean shaven, but he looks old. I, I think they put old age makeup on Patrick Stewart. Um, Patrick Stewart in real life looks the same as he did <laughs> at, in Encounter at Farpoint. Yes, he's a very healthy man. He's yeah. a vigorous, healthy Brooklynite. He's a wonderful man. So I think they, they old aged him up. Um, he's confused and cranky and, and, and angry. And it reminded me a little bit of the future Picard in All Good Things, the last episode of TNG, right. um, where he's kind of lost his mind and a little yeah. angry. But but this is but times ten right. in Logan, <laughs> so it's it's now for me. I've, other people are watching this and going, "Oh, great performance, Patrick!" So I'm like, "Oh, someone help it!" You know, like it's for a Star Trek fan like I, it really got under my skin. I'm like, I can't bear to see my beloved captain in this condition. Um, but then some things happen, and they go on the run. I'm not going to explain why. Um, but then he kind of has his head together, and he what what really uh, comes out is that he is the father figure to Wolverine, to Logan. And there's a kid involved. It's X-23. It's uh, so you, this was in the trailers. I think you know yes, this. So yes. it becomes a three generational road trip. We got Logan in the middle. He's the father of X twenty three, Laura. They call her. Uh, he's you know she's a um, clone of him. Yes. Who's perhaps even more uh, vicious and violent than he is. And then the father figure, Grandpa, is um, Professor X. And there are moments where the kid and Grandpa want to do things. Not like they want to go for ice cream. It's not that cliche. <laughs> but like they want to do things, and Logan's like, no, you know, he's a big grump. And there are scenes of. Uh, Patrick Stewart kind of like mocking uh, Hugh Jackman in like a loopy old grandpa way that are just awesome. And there's one thing in particular where he kind of gets gets his zing in on Logan and he goes, and he sticks his tongue. It's a close-up. The director, James Mangold, he knows what he's doing, man. Puts a big fat close-up on an IMAX screen of Patrick Stewart looking crazy and older than he is going and sticking his tongue out and I turn I believe it was to Matt Singer the multi multi uh, who's been a guest on the show many times I turn to Matt Singer I'm like that's the gif that's going to be on the internet forever <laughs> like every time somebody's annoying you in a thread on Slack you're going to find you know Professor X tongue and it's and it's great so you're going to if you weren't buying your ticket already I, I already have it you already bought your ticket, but so that's that's my review of Logan. Uh, it's good. It's very different from the other X Men films. It's very dark. It's I mean like, 
Heavy, heavy duty stuff. Not giving away the ending. Not giving away the middle. Well, glad to hear you liked it. That gives me hope. Yeah, because I there have been some X Men movies I did I did not particularly care for the Wolverine, the last oh, solo one see, in Japan. I, I, I thought it was I, decent, but I didn't love it. Did you see the director's cut though? No. Okay. Well, should I? I? Well, th- to me, one of the things I wanted to see out of that was I wanted to see Wolverine fighting ninjas. They yeah. they they cram in the theatrical. They cram that into about like a minute and a half in the. Extended version, it's like ten minutes long, and it's incredible. You know, the I, end of the movie kind of s- like stinks. Yeah, but regardless, maybe but. I'll catch that director's cut because I did like this one a lot. And I like James Mangold. He's you know he made a movie, and then we'll get back to talking about Star Trek. But he made a movie that nobody saw, and those who did see it didn't like it. But I liked it. It was called Night and Day with a K, with Charlize Theron and uh, Tom Cruise, where Tom Cruise played. I remember this. This was like a. It was, it was like a huge a, bomb. Right. It was got terrible reviews, yeah. but it was like a romantic, like this, like a time traveling knight or something. No, he's not a time traveling knight. He's just a, he's just a, like a super spy. He's like James right. Bond. He they, it was a born James Bond. Okay, thing. I'm confusing this with a with a different movie that has a time traveling knight. <laughs> or someone like someone like goes back to. Like uh, romanticized medieval Europe and falls in love with a knight. What movie is this? I, there of? was one where um, Martin Lawrence did that. No, but no, I don't no think it, was, it was not. That was Martin Black Martin. Knight. Are, are you thinking of the the TV show Outlander? No, no, <laughs> it was definitely a feature. I, not Outlander. I'll but. look this up. Well, n- yeah. nevertheless, uh, Night and Day was one, you know every now and then movies just like the, the finger of fate just says you're doomed. <laughs> and there were like anti Tom Cruise sentiment was very high at the time. Yes, definitely. Um, and nobody wanted to see this movie for whatever reason it bombed it is not it is not bad so I've always had like a soft spot for him because I felt like he got screwed on that one A Knight's Tale is the movie oh, is that with, with, he, with Heath Ledger Heath Ledger it? yeah okay but well, there's, there's no time travel in that though I'm not sure what said. <laughs> I think I just butt dialed Siri did Siri just Siri has something to say I just updated my iPhone and I don't know how it works. It's funny. I just saw I saw uh, Lego Batman and this we're just talking about other superhero movies. I saw Lego Batman and the the computer voice in Lego Batman is the voice of Siri, and they credit it as Siri in the credits. (laughs) That's disturbing. That's that's got to be the first time that's ever happened. Probably is because he calls Lego Batman calls it pewter. Hey pewter, and then she's like, "Yes, Batman," and it's clearly the voice of Siri. It's a joke. And then in the closing credits, like, and voice of pewter, Siri. So that was funny. I hope they didn't screw her out of royalties. I hope not. Poor Siri. You know, you can make Siri a man, and my wife made Siri the voice. You can change it. You I, can change I the no accent. I you could do that. So my wife not only made him a man, made him a man with a British accent, which you can do. <laughs> so she calls him Sir E. <laughs> <laughs> you could also make him Australian too that's very clever alright so anyway the news is that Logan which stars uh, co-stars um, Patrick Stewart in a wonderful supporting actor role maybe even a contender for best supporting actor nomination next year that would be fantastic it'll if, never if happen any of these things ever get recognized it'll, for anything it'll never happen but you know what um, I will lead the charge I say unto you now that this time next year or later in the year when people start talking Oscars, I'm going to be the, the idiot screaming and yelling about Patrick Stewart for his uh, part in Logan. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage, Engage. the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. So now, the time has come for us to open our, our communicators. 
And um, we have a special guest, Frito. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me back on your, your fancy internet show yes. where you talk to famous people on boats. It's true. We, we did do the boat. Uh, gosh, you know, there's time. I'm just, I could be on a boat, you know. Are you going next summer? Next next summer. Next next January? I, I might. I'm saying, you know, I could go down to the Staten Island Ferry right now. That's right. <laughs> they they know me there. They, they won't let me pay for a ticket. I've tried. <laughs> Staten, That's how famous I am. The Staten Island Ferry is free, folks. That's the joke there. Um, yes. Well, maybe you'll be on the Star Trek cruise next year. Who knows? Uh, I might be. I don't know. I'm kind of wary about being stuck on a boat with a thousand nerds. Uh, a thousand? More like 2,200. Okay. You well, know. that's even more terrifying. It's pretty wild. But, you know, so the, I, don't, I might get stabbed with a mechleth. That's there, what, what I'm <laughs> concerned about. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of open air. So, um, wanted to bring you on because, uh, as I mentioned, I... Don't play too many video games. I mean, I played a little Asteroids when I was a kid. Uh, yeah. Galaxian, Galaga. By the way, the, the Galaga's awesome. I love Galaga. Here's the, here's the difference between Galaxian. This is the only observation I made about video games that ever had any merit to it. Galaxian is to Star Trek the motion picture as Galaga is to Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. That is a very interesting analogy. <laughs> And I think I see where you're coming from. Well, it's all, been, I haven't played Galaxian in probably 20 years, at least. Yeah, Galaxian is very precise yeah. and slow. Yes. But, and Galaga is zippy and fun. Right. But it's almost, but it's, it has the same shell. It's the same idea. Same premise. So it's as if the two movies had the same characters. Right. Right? But Star Trek The Motion Picture no, is I, very I, slow. I, I, very, I, I dig it. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the t- same time. I think they came out the same years as the two movies. Yeah, that, I, I, I have no idea when they came out. But yeah, um, I, I think that's a very insightful analogy. And I always like the way how you can relate pretty much anything that comes up in life to Star Trek. <laughs> That's, that's a do. unique Jordan Hoffman talent. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. That's what I do. Um, so that's my only games observation, and I'm okay. sticking with that. I want to bat a thousand and leave it alone. Okay, smart move. So, um, but you've been a Star Trek gamer for a hun- for quite a long time. Well, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not a hardcore gamer at all. You know, I don't play a ton of video games. Um, I, I don't play a ton of tabletop games. But if Star Trek is involved. I'm at least going to try it out, right? Um, and and I'm going to at, at least see see what it's about. And I don't really I don't really think of myself as a gamer as such because I'm not really super involved in that universe. Um, but I do enjoy them from time to time, and uh, and you know I like see I always like seeing new interpretations and twists on the Star Trek themes and the characters that we all know and, and the stories and things. So let's talk about some of the ones from history. And okay. the, f- the first game that you said that you played that was a Star Trek game was a collectible card game. Right. This was Similar to Magic the Gathering. This was, yeah, the Star Trek collectible card. And it, that was what it was called. It was called the Star Trek collectible card game. They couldn't even think of a, a cool title <laughs> for it. And what year was... But this This was around 94, I believe. So okay. this, was, this was just after Magic the Gathering had hit the big time. Magic was the... F- I don't know if it was the very first, but it was the first uh, trading card game that had any kind of popularity, and it was huge early mid nineties. Yeah, um, and my friends were super duper into Magic: The Gathering. I started playing. I wasn't as into it as as they were, but I put together a couple decks and started because I wanted to hang out with them and play. Right. Um, and then I believe it was around nineteen ninety four. 
that I um, the Star Trek collectible card game uh, came out, and it was a sim- similar idea. You know, it's trading cards. You buy a pack, you get sort of a random set of cards. Um, you know, a subset of all the cards that existed in the universe, and you would put together, strategically put together a deck and play against uh, your friends. And it had some sort of similar mechanics. The thing that I remember, um, and I I remembered this because I was doing some research for this episode and looking up the old articles about the game and stuff, because I haven't played it in, you know, probably since uh, 1995 or so. But what I remembered is that the initial printing of this game, if you went and got the box, the way these games typically worked is you would buy like a starter pack, which had like 60 or 70 cards in it, random assortment of cards. And theoretically, a single starter pack should give you uh, enough of a variety of cards that you can assemble a workable deck to play the game. Mm-hmm. And what I remember is that in the initial printing of this game, uh, whatever algorithm they used to randomly shuffle the cards into the error. boxes, you, <laughs> there was something wrong. There was an error, and a lot of the packs when you bought them, they were unplayable. Like, you couldn't assemble a full deck right. to play the uh, the game. So you had to buy multiple starter packs. So what they did very quickly is they released for free a bunch of uh, small booster packs of, like, 15 cards. Right, right. And so you, you, could, you, you you'd get a box of 60, and there'd be 59 cues in there? And you'd be like, <laughs> so, something like that. Not, not quite that bad. Right. But, you know, you needed a certain right. a certain number of each type of card, you know, to make, to make a workable deck. Um... And so what they did, they released for free these booster packs, and you could go onto the uh, onto the website and order them, but you had to, would wait like a month. Mm. But then I heard that uh, certain gaming and uh, and comic book shops had them for free available. The distributor had just sent them and said, "Give right. these away." Uh, so I, d- I had to quick sprinkle these among the nerds. They're yeah. freaking out. So I had to beg my mom to drive me over to Dragon's Den in like White Plains or something. <laughs> Dragon's Den. Dragon's Den take, was awesome. Prithee, take me to thine <laughs> Dragon's Den. Or maybe it was in Yonkers or something. It was far away from where, where I grew up. Um, but so we had to go over there. And so I went there. I was like, do you have the, the free Star Trek uh, packs? And the guy was like, yeah, here you go. And he just gives me like a handful of them. Oh, man. And they, they were supposed to like give you, I think, one or two. One. You allowed one. But he just, he just had a big box of them. He's like, here, just, like, here's a handful. Get out of my shop, kid. <laughs> I don't like you. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, thanks, man. That's great. And then so then he goes, so uh, you want to buy something else? I was like, no. <laughs> I, I was like 13. I don't right. have any money. My allowance my, doesn't my, come till next week. Yeah. I wanted my, my yeah. free uh, booster packs. No, you deserved it. And then I was able to put together a deck, and uh, and but then nobody else I knew was playing Star Trek uh. CCG. They were all playing Magic. So eventually, I think some people I knew got some, and, and we played a few games. And it was it was an okay game. It now was here's the, so here's the alternate timeline thing. If that yeah. initial pressing had gone along without that snafu. Would Star Trek CCG have taken off more? We'll never really know. I, I don't know. I mean, it can't blame it all on that. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. I don't think it was as well tested and as well balanced as Magic was. One right. of the things that made Magic really successful was, um, you know, there's in any in any collectible card game, there's always the problem. What was if you know you have the rich kid with a million bucks who can buy oh, a thousand packs? Yeah. And he can get all the super rare cards with the the incredible, uh, the highest powers, the best uh, the best abilities. Right. But if the game is well designed, you can always beat that person if you play well, if you have good strategy and you're actually good at the game. 
Oh. Um, even if you don't have the fanciest cards. Right, and that's important. I mean, that's right. also and, good life lessons. That the and, deck is yeah, always stacked and, against you when there's some kid with Right, repairs. and Magic, Magic the Gathering did that fairly well. They were aware of that when they were designing the game, and they really worked hard at, at making the thing well-balanced. Um, and a lot of the copycat games, including uh, stuff like uh, the Star Trek CCG, and yeah. I think there's like a Marvel Universe one, too. They, is, they were, Yu-Gi-Oh, is Yu-Gi-Oh a, a magic game, or is that a different kind of game? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> that's, I've that's, heard of it. But you've heard of it, though, right? I have heard of it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to Google that one of these days. Yeah, I think I think. So it what is was the killer? What game. was the card? What was the, the, the card that you were really hoping for to get I, in the I, Star Trek game? What was I, the killer, killer app, so to speak? Um, I don't even remember because it was too long ago, and I, yeah. I did not play it very much. But um, I, if I remember correctly, I think the initial set was all TNG characters, mm. um, and there there were um, the uh, the game had sort of this mechanic of alliances. You would you would you would there are certain cards that had like missions that you needed to accomplish, which sure. Would, uh, give you a certain number of points, and you had, you had to get 100 points. That's how you And won. certain things would balance well. So if you get to, right. like, a Wesley card, you'd be like, oh, crap, but if you get Wesley <laughs> and the Traveler together, something like bingo, that. you're yeah. in business. And uh, so it was all, the initial set was all TNG-focused, and then they did additional sets for other series. Um, but the initial set, uh, as, as I recall, had sort of three civilizations that you could do missions for, which was Federation, uh, Klingons and Romulans, I think. Nice. And then the, they had the DS9 set come out that had like the Cardassians and the Bajorans. Uh, and do they have orbs? Uh, I don't know. I don't think I ever got uh, as far as getting any of the That would probably be the cards. winner thing. You pull the card out and be like, oh my God, it's the orb of time. I can <laughs> defeat anyone. <laughs> that would be amazing. So then after that, um, going to my uh, my notes here, I, you know what's funny is that sometimes when you do go to old uh, comic shops, or certainly if you go to like uh, conventions, comic cons, you yeah. look in the, in the cheap bin of just right. like, Random crap, and there'll be some old Star Trek cards. And not, they just had trading cards, like you can yeah. get, like the Cisco trading card, right? But that's different from the CCG right. card. Yeah. yeah, those were like printed by Tops or something, right? Yeah, yeah. And th- and that was just that was just purely for collecting. Yeah, I have a few. And that was it was Wizards of the Coast that really figured out how to make how to combine the collecting aspect with actually making a game. Yeah, which was revolutionary at the time. I mean, when Magic hit, there was nothing like it. Not, and still, people still love that game. Yeah, no, they're, they're still printing new sets of There Magic are cards. people, not very many, but there are a handful of people who play Magic the Gathering for a living. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, f- a friend of a friend of mine is, uh, at, was at one time, like a, a high-ranking Magic champion. And lived and, in and a, I, a I don't castle know, in the sky. I don't, know if, I don't know if he actually made a living at it, but he had won... A number of like national titles. He had a moat around his home. A moat. Uh, now you were also really into the Star Trek Elite Force game. For Star a Trek while. Elite Force. Tell us a little bit about that. I think to this day, Star Trek, Star Trek Voyager colon Elite Force, is the uh, official title. And I think to this day, it's the best Star Trek video game. Um, what what um, was this for PC or was this, this was for, for PC? Yeah. Uh, I, and I think there might have been like a PS3 version of it later, but it was initially for for PC Mac. And it was a first-person shooter game, so very much in the style of Wolfenstein or Doom. Um, you're, so you're, instead of running around a uh, Nazi castle blowing up Nazis, you're running around Borg cubes and stuff blowing up Borgs. Um, and it was, it was really excellently designed. It had a solid story. They got most of the cast of Voyager to do voices for the game, 
right? So, you know, so you're running around and, you know, Janeway's talking to you and the doctor's, right. you know, uh, fixing your injuries and stuff. Um, and it's very action oriented. So you're running around blowing up monsters. Probably more action in this game than in all of Voyager combined. Probably. I, yeah. don't, I mean, Voyager has some good, some good action stuff. Sure. In it. Yeah. But, you know, b- being a video game, it's primarily action action oriented. You're, you're running around blowing up monsters. And, uh, and it was really fun. Um, and it had a good stories, you know, so they had what, uh, video game people call cut scenes, which are yes. basically you finish a level and then you watch, you know, a little mini two minute mini movie that advances the story. And so those cut scenes were all voiced by the real Voyager actors. Um, and you're a character, you're sort of playing, I think, a, uh, a, like an ensign or a lieutenant, a junior officer. You're playing basically a junior officer on this elite Voyager strike team that has to deal with, uh, with um, threats to the the ship, you're kind of a mako. If, if, yeah, if kind, the of, kind of like a mako. Yeah. yeah. So basically, the the story is the captain realizes, hey, we're on our we're on our own out here. We need like kind of an assault team, a mako team, to uh, to deal with threats. And and you're a guy on that team, or you can play it as a as a woman too. Uh, which actually, and that was a kind of a unique thing, because I think this game, Elite Force, I think came out ninety nine two thousand ish. And uh, and that was somewhat new, the idea that uh, you could play a first-person shooter as a male or female character. Oh. Um, and that that was you Star, know, Star Trek always on the forefront, always, always on the always yeah. on the forefront, and that and that was kind of neat. I think a lot of people really appreciated that because you, um, as I recall, the character's name was Alex, which could be short for Alexandria, sure, sure, or something like that. And, uh, and as a first person, all you see is the hand. Right. So, like, it wouldn't change the graphics. So yeah. Well, maybe a more feminine hand. Yeah, I and I don't remember but. if you see the character in the cutscenes or not, but um, but that, that was cool. You could customize the See, I would have liked to have see, you know, scenes of them at home, you know, just sort of getting ready for a night out, you know. But <laughs> Sitting those, in your quarters, putting your makeup on. <laughs> exactly. No, none of that. For a night out in the holiday. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and it, 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 was, it was a great game. If you liked stuff like Doom or Wolfenstein and uh, Elite Force to use was one of the early games to use the id gaming engine, which was the, the same engine used to make Doom. So a game like this, which is now 15, 16 or more years old, uh, can it even be played now? I mean, I think so, yeah. Um, I haven't tried, but um, I assume if you've... I, I don't know what the, the OS requirements are. I know there is a console version of it out. I forget if it's PS2 or PS3. It's PS2. PS2. So okay. if a current, so if you have a PS2, the current, you, X, the, the current PS is uh, four. Four. Is the, it? They're not backwards compatible. They're not backwards yeah. compatible. So, yeah. So uh, no, you can't play it on a PS4. But if you have a PS2, you could play it on that. If you have an old PC, right? With uh, you can find a I PS2 think, at a garage sale for ten bucks, probably. Sure. Right. Um, or, or if you have, you know, something with like Windows 95 or 98 or something on it, I'm sure it would work. I don't know if it works on modern version of Windows because I haven't tried. Somebody's got, I mean, see, now I'm sure somebody out there knows. But you can find, you know, long plays of this on YouTube. You know, people will record their gaming sure, sessions. Sure, sure. Um, and and you can you can watch them play through the game. And it's... Uh, we got to wait for the games fun. to be old enough and uh, computer processors to get more advanced because now, you know, you can go and play the exact um, duplicates of really super early video games yeah. on your laptop. You yeah, like a, and you, you can Google, emulate the old consoles. Yeah, emulate. Yeah. I want to play uh, Atari Adventure from 1981, and it's the exact same game. Right, and they in time, this will be like that, they've, too. They've dumped the original ROMs from the cartridges and yes. written an Atari hardware emulator. Um, I, had, uh, I still have a NES emulator 
the original Nintendo Entertainment System, and I've got a collection of 50 or 60 Nintendo game ROMs that I can play on my laptop. Nice. Which is uh, insane, It's and it's awesome. Um, but yeah, one of these days I got to go on eBay and get a, a real original NES and some old cartridges. Oh yeah, they're still out there. Now, you know what's interesting though is that some of like the you would think, and I've looked the to exact to pr- exactly emulate the coin operated early video games. Yeah, not that many of them are online. Right, for that's free. that's tough because a lot of them had custom hardware. Right, and so there was some beginning later on when they realized that it would be advantageous to develop a single hardware platform so every cabinet would basically have the same hardware and you would just change the ROM like the equivalent of you know sticking a new cartridge in a a console Um, but you would just have a single ROM chip with a game on it that you could uh, stick in the cabinet yeah um, and that that would allow you to build a single sort of gaming platform for your arcade cabinets but that that innovation came later it came later so that's that a lot of after the, right so a lot of the original games like Galaga and, and centipede and stuff they relied yeah. on on custom hardware just for that game um, so that cabinet would you know was that game and so if you want to write an emulator for that you know you have to emulate hardware that doesn't exist anymore is that that was configured in a very specific yeah. way it's not just writing an emulator for a certain cpu with a certain amount of memory yeah because that that is that is being lost like the original original yeah. asteroids has a certain look and feel that can only right. ha, you, know, you can only do it at an asteroids coin op now there yeah. are later coin ops that you can find online that are exactly the right same, but the early stuff it's being lost to time man yeah somebody's got to record this stuff yeah, and and uh, you know people are, and you know the good thing about those that old hardware is, you know if if you have a little bit of electronics knowledge, and I don't have this much electronics knowledge, but I have uh, very little bit, but you can still find parts to repair those because it was all all the integrated circuits for the most part are fairly simple and widely available stuff, you know basic logic building blocks that you can still buy. Uh, in what are called dip packages, which are easy to manipulate with a soldering iron. Mm. And when stuff breaks, if you have enough knowledge to troubleshoot those PCBs, you can, and there are people who do this, you can take them apart, you know, desolder the old chips and replace them and get things working again. Um, but it's not a simple thing to do. Right. And there's certainly no monetary No, it's just uh, it's it's the only people it, yeah. who are doing this are, are people who, who love these old games. Sure. And I, I love old games. I don't really get newer games. Um, and, th- you know, this is because I'm I'm an old uh, fogey. <laughs> but, you know, n- modern games, you know, from when consoles started moving away from cartridges and going towards optical media yeah. is when is when I sort of when we lost you when I when I sort of lost it. And I, well, I didn't well, let's, really get let's talk about the next game. Um, and then we are going to talk about some of the modern games, too, yeah. uh, timelines and, and, and some other ones. But before we get to that, let's talk about especially because you were talking about all the sort of like. Tinkerers and homebrew. Right. There was a game from from Macintosh that was an unlicensed Star Trek game. Yes. Right? So this now here we are on the official Star Trek podcast, not in any way advocating <laughs> unlicensed Star Trek goods. But in what year was this roughly? Early two thousands? No, no. This was much. This was this would be late eighties, early nineties. Oh, okay. So late eighties, early nineties on early. So it's like Apple II, right. Apple II. No, this, this, like this would have been like Mac Plus, <coughs> Mac Mac Plus, Mac Five Twelve. What era. was the game called? This was. It was called. Uh, it was called. I think Star Trek Rescue, um, and uh, Rescue with an exclamation point. <laughs> and uh, and this and so this was a game. It was you know, it was sort of. 
I wouldn't say it's an RPG, but you're sort of you're in control of a ship that looks very much like uh, the classic Enterprise does. Um, sort of driving around on your screen, and there are these rescue missions. You have to rescue colonists from uh, a planet that's being invaded. Sure. And so it's kind of like a resource management game. You have to get to the planet. You have to figure out how much energy you're going to spend to start beaming people up. At some point, you're going to get attacked. I think it was Romulans in the game or originally. And so then, and so a lot of the game is sort of manipulating your energy budget, saying, all right, I'm going to dedicate this much to the shields and this much to the weapons, and hopefully I'll be able to defeat them. And there are a lot of those sort of uh, budgeting mechanics in the <laughs> game. <sounds> so boring. <laughs> the, 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 the phrase budgeting mechanics sounds pretty boring. <laughs> But when you're seven years old right. on a Mac Plus and you're like, oh my God, this is Star Trek. Right, right, right. And it was, it was a share, I think, shareware game. I think, you know, I, my dad got it from like CompuServe <clears throat> or something. He was like, check this out. And uh, and and it was cool. And eventually people- hey, like Brian's got some pictures. You got some pictures. Oh, and so it has, yeah, so it's in color. The, and there was has, a, the, the original version was in black and white. And then there was this, an updated version in color. And it has what looks like, clearly, those are, those are Romulan ships right. and- uh, it's got the L cars Okuda look That's right. to it, and that, so what, that was a much later version of it. After uh, after Paramount had made them take the Star Trek name off it, and it was just called Rescue Exclamation. Okay, so let's back it up a minute. So this game was a this game was a homebrew game, and it was all about budget management. But now that I right. see the image, it actually looks a little cool. You got right. a lot of and graphics, it, and, and the the original version in black and white on the Mac Plus looked uh, a lot, you know, a lot less cool than that. Um, but the so they foolishly used the name Star Trek, thinking right. it was no problem. But you say it was shareware. I believe the initial version was was shareware. So, so was, you weren't spending any money. Yeah, the, and the idea. The, I don't. I don't know if people today know what shareware was, but back in the day, the idea was you know, you would you would write some program, you'd put it up on a BBS or something like CompuServe, and you'd say, hey, if you like this, send me five bucks. Right. Um, and uh, but you, donate to my Patreon. Who right. would say today? But you know. <laughs> So and so and so you know the idea and you know maybe one in a hundred people who thought it was cool would actually send you five bucks. Right. Um, but that that was just sort of what it was. And uh, uh, Paramount at the time got wind of this. They did not like it. They said you can't call it Star Trek. You're you're making you know five bucks a month off this. That's well, not only that, it's you're making a game when right. we may want to make a game it, next week and we have exactly. the rights. So exactly, screw you, you, you buddy. can't call it Star Trek. Yeah. So. The subsequent versions were just released under the name Rescue, exclamation point, but it still had, you know, it still had the ship that looked like an Enterprise and yeah. enemies that looked like Romulans and something that looked like the Elkar's interface in the later versions. Yeah. Um, and it was, a, it was a cool game. Which is I, amazing that even that was allowed. I guess, I guess at the time there weren't that many games. Like, I, I don't know why they would allow that. I guess... I, you know, as, I think as, as long as you don't call it Star Trek and as long as you don't use... The names of like the Romulans and stuff, right. you know. There's, and it wasn't like you could buy this in a store, right? Yeah, and and you know, and and I don't know if, I mean, I, you know, I I'm not an intellectual property lawyer or, yeah. or any kind of lawyer, but I I don't know if you can make a case against just someone sort of ripping off the Elcar's design if that's like an intellectual property thing, because people have been doing like Elcar's screensavers and stuff like that. Sure, them. sure, yeah, that's that's true, that's true. Um, so I don't know, but that that was a cool game. And um, and that's that's way old school. That was like 1987, 88, I think, was the first version of well, it. Well, that sounds like a fun one. So, But then another one that was around in the late 80s, early 90s was something that I never played. I played something similar. We could talk about it in a moment. But it was a game that was not played on your computer. 
nor was it a board game. It was something that used your VHS player. Yes. All right. So we're going to talk about the, the Star Trek VHS game, and this and this it actually was a board game. Oh, okay. It was um, it was two parts. Yes. First so, of all, let's explain to young people out there what is a VHS player. VHS player is uh, also known as a VCR, a video cassette recorder. Yes. Um, but this is a device that you put a cassette tape in to play video. So back in those days, for you youngins out there, you would you would go to a store and say, <laughs> "I'd like to watch Pulp Fiction, please," and they would hand you a tape, and you would put this tape in a machine, and uh, basically it was like going on Netflix, but much much more difficult. And when you were done, and if you were a good person, you would you would rewind it. You would rewind it. You would be kind. Be kind. Rewind. <laughs> rewind. <laughs> so all right. So here's how the Star Trek VHS game worked. Now I only played this once. A friend of mine had this. I didn't have it. And here's the premise. So this was actually a board game. Mm-hmm. It came with a board that represented the Enterprise D, and you would move around the ship. The premise of this was... Were there dice involved? I believe there were dice involved. Nice. All right. So the way this worked was you would play the board game while the VHS tape was playing on your TV <coughs> in the background. And most of the VHS tape is just silence. It's just a star field with a counter going down. With a little white noise. A little bit of Did white noise. Did you at least hear the hum the of the engine, Enterprise? Yeah, you yeah. got the engine noise. <laughs> and so you can go uh, to sleep to that if you want. And wanted. every once yeah. in a while, Robert O'Reilly, who you might know as playing Gowron, yes. played a different Klingon, um, whose name was, I think, Kavok or something like that. Yes. But he was a different Klingon, but he still did the Gowron crazy eyes. And, uh, and this was shot on the Enterprise D sets. And every once in a while at random times, he would pop up on the screen and change some mechanic in the game, depending on what was happening. So you're playing the game with dice and you're moving around right. kind of like sorry style uh, well, or cheesy style. Let's hear the premise of this because I, oh, okay. I brought some clips. So oh, you brought some clips. Fabulous. I brought clips. So let's here's Riker. He's going to explain to us. What's so it going opens on. with not you don't see Riker. You hear his voice. You hear you. Well, let's listen to him. OK, here, here R- we go. First officer's log. Stardate 49253.5. Commander William Riker reporting. Three days ago, the Enterprise docked at Starbase 74 to undergo repairs to a damaged computer core that has been causing erratic performance in low-level computer functions. Of course. The ship is practically empty, except for a few crew members assigned to direct the Starbase. That's, that's us! <laughs> We're the crew members. shore leave to all personnel. Although I am not on board the ship, I am monitoring the repair team's progress from the Starbase. No, you're not. I like it. I'm not on board. This I'm not going to be. You're not going to see my face, but I'll give you my voice. Right. So, so you have to pay me twice for me. So to show that's my the face. premise, right? We're the skeleton crew on board sure. the ship. Everybody else, like is Starship gone. Mine, but yeah. instead of Kirk, instead of uh, Picard, it's, it's it's just us. It's us. Yeah. Right. Okay. Cool. So, so then you would start playing this game, and the board game itself was fairly simple. You sort of moved around the ship, um, and then what happens in in the uh, in the story is Robert O'Reilly beams on board the Enterprise, mm. right? And you see they shoot it in the transporter room, but they were too cheap to pay for the transporter effect. So you just hear the sound. <laughs> you just hear the sound, and then the camera pans up, and there's Robert O'Reilly there. Nice. And so he steals the Enterprise, and he's going to take... Right, there you go. Up. Behold, I am not Gowron. I am his cousin. I'm his cousin Kavok. <laughs> so we don't have to pay the writers. <laughs> So, so he steals the Enterprise, right? Because he thinks it's empty. He doesn't know that you know the these two or three people playing the game are right. still on the ship. He steals the Enterprise. He's going to take it towards Kronos to incite a war between the Empire and the Federation for the good of because the, the Empire has gotten weak and he has to strengthen the Empire. Right. So that so then he sets up the premise for the game like this. This is what he says. I know your human way. 
You will pretend to cooperate, and then try to regain control of this ship and sabotage this great mission. To accomplish that task, you must secure access to five levels of the main computer. Why is he telling us what to do? Of course you will be pitted against me. <laughs> He's not a very good villain. In 60 minutes, we will reach the Klingon homeworld. You are in a race against time. So it's a cooperative game. It's a cooperative game. So yeah, so you're you not have an hour to secure to do right. five so little you're, things. You're playing against Kavok, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's like blackjack. You got to beat the dealer. <laughs> you're, so you're working with these uh, these other people's. You're not playing against them. You're playing against the VCR, <laughs> right? Which I hope the tape doesn't minutes. get tangled. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. So then after so it's that, a timed game. You know this game is only going right. to take an hour. It's a timed game. And so after that, so you're playing the board game, you're rolling the dice, you're moving your pieces around, and there are, there are like action cards and stuff, and I don't remember all the mechanics. But after that, basically, uh, Kvok steals the ship, says, set course for Kronos, engage. And then you basically just get the engine noise and a timer counting down. Mm. And then randomly he would just pop up on the screen, and he would, he would say stuff like just this. Just to make sure you're paying attention. Yeah. He would pop up and say... Mev! You! The one who is moving now. <laughs> Answer! Yes, sir. What do you want, Kavok? You will be the first to learn the power of a Klingon warrior. I place you in a stasis field. Oh, shit. <laughs> That's no good. That's no good. And then you're stuck in a stasis field. So it's kind of like but, you, you get and, tagged out. So right. if, you, if you play the game enough... So you You'll, you will know like when certain stuff comes yeah, up. Yeah, you can kind of in the back of like, but oh, oh he's Kvok's going to do the stasis right. field in five more minutes. I don't want to be the one moving. Hurry right. up! And, and if it, you do want to be, right. you can go slow, exactly, so that your cousin Frank and will get stuck. And it's whenever great. whenever he says Mev, which is Klingon for stop, stop Mev, Mev. Oh my God! This is the greatest game ever. I know it was it was it was, it was uh, extremely corny but kind of clever. Yeah. So whenever he says "mev," yeah. you know whoever's moving at that point is the one who has to stop and uh, and deal with Kavok. And then as the game progresses and as you move toward um, through the levels of the board, um, what Kavok does to you also affects um, you know sort of what's going on on the board. And so like, here's, here's another one that's like, I think, two-thirds of the way through the game. Scanners detect movement throughout the ship. I have shut down the turbo lifts. They are all inoperable. If you are on a turbo lift, oh, you are trapped. Oh, no! <laughs> and so, you know... And you get they, stuck. They, so, they, you, 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 can you roll out? Can you roll a natural I, 20 to get out? Or, there's, you know? <laughs> there's something like that. I don't remember all the rules, but... You know, if you get stuck in a stasis field or you're trapped in a turbo yeah. lift, you know, there there are ways to escape. Sure, um, sure, sure. Uh, but it was, it was you know, such, it was, overall, it was not a good game because for, for the board game was kind of crappy. Yeah. And, of course, there's this VHS tape, which is always the same. So after you play it a couple times, you know what's going to happen. Right. But it was points. a clever idea to utilize was, new it was, technology. It was a very clever, it was a bold idea. And yeah. it, was, it was kind of a really now, ballsy d- design for a d- game. I'll tell you, the, the, the one VHS game that I played, and I played it, and I owned it. Um, yeah. And it may still be in the attic at my parents' house. Uh, it was a little earlier than late 80s, mid right. to late 80s. It was a Clue VHS game. Right, you told me about this. Yeah, it's called Clue v- VCR. Yeah. And it was, um, they got actors to, to do, and what was funny is that it came out at around the time the Clue movie came out. Right. So there was real market saturation for Clue. Uh, but they, 
shot on cheap one-inch videotape. They got yeah. a house. They got a set that looked like you know the house from Clue. Right. And they cast actors to be Professor Plum and Miss Scarlet and and and. And and the others, Colonel Mustard, and it was it was not the people from the Clue movie. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, but I remember the Miss Scarlet was uh, particularly very beautiful. I remember, right? Uh, and they would they you would watch like ten minute. Well, they felt like ten minutes, probably more like four minute chunks. Yeah. So you would sit down and you would take notes like a detective, right? So you would have this note because you have to do that in in Clue anyway. So yeah. Sort of keep track of what. Yeah. Everybody so has. you would have this note paper that like had Clue. Uh, artwork around it, right? And you would have, and it would be a pencil. This was like the board. The board game for Clue the game was a pad and a pencil. Yeah. So you have your Clue pencil and your Clue pad, and you would sit on the couch and you would watch a four minute clip of like actors that are not particularly good on right. very cheap sets with bad lighting on one inch VHS. It looked like soap opera. It looked like right. guiding light. Yep, yep. And they would do these dopey scenes like, oh, Professor Plum, it's so nice to, and they would just say these things. And you would take notes. And the one thing I remember... Say, Colonel Mustard, here's some exposition for you. Right, right, right. There were two things I remember. One was, like, one of the other characters. Professor Plum goes up to um, Miss Scarlet in, like, in a room. So he'd be like, oh, what room is it in? It's in the conservatory. Okay. So they'd be in the conservatory, and Professor Plum would say, oh, Miss Scarlet, I remember you. We met once on a a flight to Borneo. And she says... I was never in Borneo, and then lightning uh, and thunder crashes, and I That's remember how you know that. it's important. Yeah, so you take a note because uh, then later you would get. Um, it, well, then, then there would be cards. And another thing I remember is somebody says to Mrs. White, "Oh, please hand me that green pepper." They're in the right. kitchen, or uh, you know, Mrs. White in the kitchen, uh, and she hands a red pepper. Right, and I remember like, oh shit, I better write that down. That's important. So then later, you would get the card. We would lift over cards, and those cards would have clues, and it would say, um, the character who is colorblind was not with the rope in the conservatory, blah blah. And you would have to then refer. Oh, who was colorblind? Oh, Mrs. Right. White was colorblind because she picked up the wrong pepper. It's clearly for kids, you right. know. And, you but know, it's, a, it's a good like logic puzzle. Yeah, exactly logic. The character who never visited Borneo, who was that? Oh, I think it was Miss Scarlet. So. Anyway, I remember playing that twice, yeah. <laughs> three times, because it got stupid after a while. Now, you know? now, so the cards would be, were those random, so it was a different person each time? You know, I don't remember, uh, but I, I think that they were like a big stack, it was like a big, thick stack of a right. Trivial Pursuit amount of cards, okay. so you could play it enough and cycle them through. I got it. So, so there must have been like a different murder each time, but the clues were always... The oh, same yeah. from the, the VHS. I guess, I guess, yeah. I'm guessing that's how it works. Otherwise, yeah. it would be super duper boring after yeah. you play it once. Yeah, well, that was Clue the v- VCR, but Clue the right. movie was, you could, you could watch that infinitely. It's still Clue very the movie fun. is fantastic. It really is good. As people don't appreciate that movie. <laughs> Clue the movie rules. It's, ver- it's very, I don't think people got it. It's um, very, it's at the very, time, though, now it has a cult following. It's very, they didn't use this word when that movie was released, but it's very meta. Oh, yeah, it's very, very meta. Very funny. There actually was. Um, Clue the movie is is ha, does have a fan base now, and yeah. a, uh, a friend of mine and a huge Star Trek fan, fellow by the name of Adam Vary, who may be listening, who writes for BuzzFeed, wrote a great Clue oral history, where he spoke oh, to almost everybody from Clue who's still with us, Madeline Kahn. Obviously, now, am I remembering this? I know. Because I've seen Clue the movie on DVD, and there's several endings. Yes, there's three. And am I remembering it correctly that the original theatrical print, they randomly distributed different endings to different theaters? That is correct. The original, when it first came out in 88, 87, yeah. whatever it was, 
you would there were three endings. There was ending right, one, right. ending two, and ending three. And if you whatever your movie theater was, if you got ending two, that's what you showed. Right. And you could ask. You were you were like told to to the you know in the in the marketing it was like ask your theater which ending they've got and see if and then see it again in another theater. Right. And be like, do you have ending one? We have ending one. Oh, okay, cool. The theater across town's got ending three. We'll go see it then. And um, what they do with the now that it's on DVD and and when they put it to um, cable, right? They would show all three endings and they would show ending one and be like, "That's one way it could have ended," right? But it also could have been like this, and then it would be like, "But the real way it ended was this," uh-huh. and it was the most, the one, the one that it quote unquote real ending, and the ending that was most um, sort of uh, had the best closure. I felt the best ending, yeah, was where everybody was a little bit guilty, right? Okay. Everybody unbeknowingly was helping one another kill. Interesting. Uh, Mr. Body, I believe, was right. the character's name. So let's go ahead a little bit in time. Let's go now to the present. Okay. Uh, enough well, with actually, these VHS there's, games. Oh, there's, there's more? There's one in- interesting thing, which was, and so this is a good segue, because the Clue on DVD with multiple endings kind of ties into the Star Trek Borg. Yeah, this is right. a, D- a DVD game. This was a DVD game. So this is when DVD was a new thing. Right, and so people were enthralled. CDs had been around for a while, and I don't know if you remember when you got a first CD player. Mm-hmm. I remember when I got mine, and the thing that amazed me the most was that you could press a button and be on the next song instantly. Yeah. Right, so it was non-linear is the, is, is the word, right? So as opposed to tape where you have to fast forward through a song, which is linear, right. CDs and DVDs were non-linear. And if you're a klutz like me, a record, you pick up the needle, you right. try to put it down, you always put it in the wrong yeah. place, you scratch the damn thing, it's too much, man. <laughs> CDs, it's, it's ridiculous. CD is the perfect uh, middle ground, yeah. So when DVD came along, and DVD was this, the same kind of thing, but for movies, uh, people were convinced that this was going to be a great interactive gaming platform because you could press a button and choose which clip of video you were going to watch. Yes. So they made this thing called Star Trek Borg. It was shot on the sets for Voyager. It does not take place on Voyager. None of the Voyager people are involved. Um, but it takes place 10 years after the Battle of Wolf 359. Oh. And so you play... Is that after Voyager Return? Let's see. Wolf no, th- the wolf. No, Wolf three five nine was season four of TNG. So this would have been at the tail end of Voyager. So they're still out there in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. Okay. So this this would have been. I th- probably came out like around season seven of Voyager. Okay. I guess. Yeah. Um, so uh, you play a cadet, and your your father was killed at the Battle of Wolf three five nine. Oh man. So that's that's the premise. And uh, this, this game was released for computers, but it really was not a computer game. The actual software involved in this was basically just a computer DVD player that you would watch what was essentially a Star Trek episode. And every once in a while, Q would pop up and say, do you want to go to the turbo lift or go to the bridge, right? Wow. It was like a choose-your-own-adventure, except it was a crappy choose-your-own-adventure because three choices were always wrong and you would die. <laughs> and then one choice was correct. Okay. All right, so Q, so John DeLancey shows up and he's Q and he sort of gives you the, the premise of the game here. Perhaps I should introduce myself. I imagine you've heard of me, though, Q. It's short for Q. It was I, you know, who introduced Picard to the Borg, and it's because of me that ten years ago the Borg came to Wolf 359 and found that fleet of ships and found your father and killed them all. Whoa. 
not not good. Q. Yeah, you know, is he the only actor in it, or? Uh, no, there's there's a bunch of people in it, but he's the only he's, Star Trek he's the only he's the only uh, well known person in it. But there's a lot. So unlike the VHS game, which was super duper uh, cheaply made yeah. and only has one actor and was filmed on the Enterprise D sets, this game actually had a bit of a budget, and they filmed uh, base uh, about one hour's worth of material. Uh, on the Voyager sets, and there's a large cast. There's a bunch of characters. Uh, Q shows up. There's people in full Borg regalia, um, you know, full makeup. I, I believe Michael Westmore worked on, did all the makeup. Um, and uh, and uh, it's actually really, and there's some good action scenes, like, you know, uh, action scenes that would feel like a real episode of Voyager. Wow. Um, and so, like, here's one of the scenes where you make the wrong choice and die. You got the phasers going, yeah. you got the music. I don't think so. Oh, and then you got that's Q telling you right. you're dead. You just called your fellow Borg up to the bridge and had him assassinate all your friends. Don't feel bad, though. If it ever goes to trial, you can always claim the collective made you do it. This time, try not to get caught. And then he sends and it so back. And so then it goes back, and then you make a different So choice. there's really no gaming system. It's they, you watch a scene... Make a choice and then see if you're right. That's it. That's ba- that's all it is. Yeah. And so it's basically just sort of like a sort of non-linear Star Trek episode. Oh wow! And um, and you can watch the whole thing's on YouTube, and you can watch it and see what happens with with all the different choices. Um, and so reasonably, it got fairly bad reviews because it was marketed as a game, but it really wasn't a game. It was yeah. it was just it was an interactive TV episode. Um, but it was in a lot of senses kind of really ahead of its time and like the VHS game it was really kind of a bold thing to try yeah and it doesn't really work as a game but as kind of passive entertainment um, you know where it's 90% passive and 10% you clicking the remote to make a, a choice <laughs> right, on screen right, right, right. it's kind of cool and it's actually it's an interesting story you know so you, you play this cadet and you're out for revenge because the board killed your dad and then and Q actually lets you um, Q lets you inhabit the body of an officer on another ship who gets killed and then you have to prevent him from getting killed gotcha. by changing the past yeah. and then you get assimilated but Q helps you resist assimilation a little bit so you can fight the Borg from the inside and there's uh it's you I know check it out I'm, it's, I'm, it's cool I'll, I'll send you the link you can see this on YouTube search for Star Trek Borg probably the whole thing if you sit down and just watch the whole thing yeah an hour yeah yeah. yeah, it's basically it's it's about it's just about an hour, and and I think the version on on YouTube that I ripped this audio from is is basically just sort of you know the, everything in order with all the the choices showing all the ways you yeah. die, and uh, and then the the correct choices, and that it was you know again not a, not good as a game, but kind of cool and kind of impressive what they did on a game budget. Yeah, uh, especially cast because there's there must be twenty actors in it. Yeah, and and you know except for Q, they're all unknowns, but they're people who they're all like people who were like the regular Star Trek extras. Sure, that sure. You see, that Wouldn't it be players. funny if somewhere and if it's not for this game, it's because there may have been others like it. Yeah, if there was a random actor who then later became 
you know, or like a real character yeah. that people know. That oh, no, no, not a real character, but like a really well-known actor. Like if this was oh, Ryan okay. Gosling's first gig, you know, <laughs> that Ryan, would be Ryan Gosling first came to Hollywood and his yeah. first gig was like, "You're you're Red Shirt 33, 33 on this game on this thing that'll never even be on TV." Right, right, right. But do it and like do it well, and then now he's in the Academy Award-winning right. motion picture. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't look up who the other actors were. Um, I do know that most of them were just pulled from the usual. Uh, crew of, uh, of sure. background actors on Voyager, um, and so this this is probably the first thing they did with lines. Yeah, although it, w- it wasn't on TV. I don't know if it gets them in SAG or whatever. Well, we'll have to go back and we'll see. have to find out. Um, cool. Oh man, so Star Trek Borg, gonna check it out. Well, listen, uh, Frito, thanks for talking to us about Star Trek games of old. My pleasure. And we're going to have you back on next week to talk about Star Trek games of now. Yeah, the new ones. The new ones. And Part two. We've talked about a to lot be of, continued. We've talked a lot dun, about, dun, 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 dun. about a lot of games that uh, were innovative and bold but didn't quite catch on. We're currently in a glory a glory period of Star Trek games. I think so. I think we're, we're definitely seeing some awesome new stuff coming out. So we're going to talk about Star Trek games of new next week on Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.